and good morning, friends. My name is Avinash. It's good to see you here this morning. I'm going to continue where, just pick up from Eric, who is Jesus? And I want to ask you, who is Jesus to you? So I want you to pick up, uh, take out your smartphones. If you can, scan the QR code on the screen and just respond to who you think Jesus is. Who is Jesus to you? We sang a whole bunch of, he's healer, he's defender, but to you, who is Jesus? And if you're not, uh, if you don't feel inclined to be tech savvy today, go ahead and uh, shout out who Jesus is. Savior. Love. King of kings. Good shepherd. Okay. What else? Sorry? Faithful. Yes, Jesus is faithful. Who is Jesus? Let's, as Alan Bible, how do we collectively come up with a definition for who Jesus is? So he's comforter. He's Savior, He's God, He's Lord, He's Messiah. These are, these are all great descriptions of who Jesus is. And thank you for that. Thank you for sharing your answers with me. The Savior, which is in the biggest size, is the most common answer in this church. But I want to draw your attention to this glass of water at this time you see the glass of water? How many of you think the glass is half full? Okay. How many of you think the glass is half empty? Okay, some of you didn't answer to both. <laughs> it is there. This is a glass of water. Okay, so some of you thought, think the glass is half full. Some of you think the glass is half empty. Now, why am I saying this? What is the correlation with a glass of water and who Jesus is? Well, that's a good question. The reason I say this is, regardless of whether the glass is full, half full, or half empty, the truth is, it is still not completely full. Right? It is still only halfway there. And there is room for more. And as much as these answers are great, responses of who Jesus is, it's not a complete definition of who Jesus is. There is room for more. You know, there may be the, some of us who looked at, may look at these answers and think that their glass is half full, and that's great. You are able to articulate the faith. You've grown up in church all your life. You've read the Bible cover to cover. You've been in ministry all your life. You can articulate the faith, and that's great. Praise God for that. But Paul's desire for you in the book of Colossians is that you may grow and come to a full understanding of Christ, that you and I may mature into a complete understanding of Christ. And for the rest of us who thought that the glass is half empty, when you look at this, you're like, man, I wish I could have said some of those words. I wish I could have articulated the gospel that way. I wish I could think of some of these things, but it just doesn't come to mind. And that's fine. Your glass is not completely empty. And Paul's desire for you is for you to grow and mature into a complete understanding of Jesus. 
And of course, on this side of eternity, we can never come to a complete understanding of Jesus because of his infiniteness and our finiteness. But Paul knows that. And his desire is still for us to continue to constantly grow and mature and come into a full understanding of who Jesus is. So in this sermon series that we're in at Allen Bible this season of being complete in Christ, the question we're asking is, what does it take for us to be complete in Christ? What does it take for you and me to become complete in Christ? And Paul answers this question for us in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. And he gives us three steps. And this is literally my big idea, is to be complete in Christ Know Jesus for who he is, know Jesus for what he's done, and know Jesus for what he requires. Okay? To be complete in Christ, know Jesus firstly for who he is, know Jesus for what he's done because of who he is, and know Jesus for what he requires of you and me. So in today's text, we will see Paul writes a letter to the church at uh, Colossae who are in a context they are living in a world where there are several voices, there are several philosophies, there are several religions that are at play, and all of them are fighting for the Colossian church's uh, attention and their allegiance and to attempting to draw them away from the gospel. And I think our context that we live in today is pretty much the same. We live in a world where social media, our politicians, our jobs, just the philosophies that are out there are vying for our attention and our allegiance. So to combat this influence, Paul's desire is that the church is on this constant path of maturing and growing in Christ. So he starts off in verse 15, but a description of who Jesus is. This is who Jesus is. So let's see what Paul says. Join me in Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. Colossians 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Friends, these five verses, in my opinion, are in the entire New Testament the most vibrant, the, the most rich the most theologically descriptive description of who Jesus is. This is called high Christology. And the language and style that these verses are written in indicate that they were probably a hymn that was common in the time of Paul that the church knew, and Paul is just drawing on that. For example, almost everybody in church would know uh, the hymn Amazing Grace, right? It's a common hymn. Similarly, this, these five verses, was a hymn that was common in the time of Paul's uh, preaching. So he borrows from that to describe who Jesus is. Now let's study these verses phrase by phrase and learn who Jesus is. Okay? 
first phrase he is the image of the invisible god say that with me he is the image of the invisible god see that's an interesting phrase for us to study the word image is here used to describe something that accurately represents an entity right a photo of somebody accurately represents that person right this is what people in border control do they verify the picture in your passport to see if it accurately represents the actual person right the reference for the image is the actual visible tangible person but look at what jesus says he is the image of the invisible god he is an accurate representation of something or someone who is invisible jesus is the visible representation of one who has no form for us to evaluate to see if the representative matches the representation in other words the only way to see what we who we cannot see is by seeing who we can see the only way to see the father is through jesus and this is what john says in john chapter 14 verse 9 where jesus says whoever has seen me has seen the father jesus makes the intangible tangible jesus reveals the father to us and you and i we get the privilege to be made in the image of god but jesus is the image of god jesus is more than a mere human no human on earth has ever or will ever have the privilege of being the image of god it takes god to reveal himself here this is an implicit statement that jesus is god jesus is divine jesus is deity in the flesh now why do we need to know this right because our god is not a vapor he's not a mere energy he's not the universe as we hear in social media outside that's the world's description but jesus actually walked this earth children sat on his lap peter could feel his muscles when jesus pulled him off out of the water he held a literal piece of wood nails actually pierced his hand there was literal blood that flowed from his side that brought redemption for you and me mary magdalene held him tightly in the garden after his resurrection thomas had to feel the mark of the nails jesus was god in the flesh he's not some mere vapor that people that the world declares god to be so in this context in the colossian church where there were various religious beliefs and descriptions of who god is paul wanted the colossian church to know that jesus was tangible he was god in the flesh you and i we need to remember that and know that truth as well to know jesus for who he is he is god in the flesh let's look at the next phrase verse 15 he is the firstborn of all creation say that with me firstborn of all creation now the word firstborn can suggest that he was the one who was born first in the engineering culture in the first century the person who was born first gets the most privileges at home he gets the largest piece uh, of inheritance but the underlying idea behind that is this uh, sense of preeminence that is what is communicated here jesus being first born is jesus being preeminent he is supreme 
and he is preeminent in all creation. Look at what it says in verse 16. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. See, it says, all things are created in him. Jesus is the realm in which all creation is created. And he obviously had to precede creation to create, right? And it's like the realm in which it was created is something like saying, this cake was made in our home. It's the realm in which it was made. So all creation was made in Jesus. And we'll unpack that as we go. But what are these all things? Look at verse 16 again. It says, In him all things in heaven and on earth. Let's pause there. Can you think of anything that is outside of heaven and earth? Can you think of anything that's outside these two big buckets? Well, maybe you can say, what about my thoughts? What about my ability to emote? What about these abstractions that philosophers live and dwell in? Okay, let's read further. Things visible and invisible. There goes your thoughts. <laughs> Paul is just expanding that the bucket even further. Now, is there anything else, anything you can think of that is, does not fit these two categories? No. In four words, Paul covers anything that our feeble minds can imagine. Think of it, Jesus is sovereign over it, because Jesus created it. In this context, when we read the words visible, invisible, thrones and dominions and rulers, the language is speaking of the cosmic realm. It's speaking of powers that are not visible to our eye. It's the powers and principalities in this world. And Paul is saying that Jesus is in control of the cosmic realm. And in the end of verse 16, he says, all these things, anything you can think of or imagine, all things have been created through him and for him. Through him and for him. Jesus was the intermediate means through which all of creation was made and was created for Jesus. Jesus was not only involved in creation, but all creation belongs to him. He's the owner of everything. He controls everything. Again, can you think of a single man who has walked this earth who's had such a privilege? Jesus is more than a mere human. He is God. Let's read verse 17 again. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Speaking of Jesus' preeminence, Jesus was not a mere man. He existed before all creation. He was not a man that God adopted and made holy, as people would say. All creation was created through him, anything we can conceive of. And it's all held together and sustained in him. We sang that a few minutes ago. Jesus is our sustainer, and he holds it all together. Science may tell us that our bodies 
are made up of atoms and held together by atoms? Well, Jesus holds those atoms. You take Jesus out, the universe falls apart. You take Jesus out, you and I fall apart. Isn't it amazing that you and I, we are sustained, we are literally sustained because of Jesus, whether we realize or acknowledge it or not. That's what Paul says. He is the sustainer of everything. John me in verse 18. Now that Jesus, uh, Paul has spoken about Jesus' preeminence over the context of creation, Jesus' preeminence in the context of the cosmos, and his preeminence in the context of life, Paul now moves on to speak of Jesus' preeminence in the context of the world, the earthly realm, and in the context of death. Look at verse 18. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. Now, if you ever had a doubt who the head of the church is, it's not Buddy or Mike, it's Jesus. Jesus is the head of the church. And he is the firstborn from the dead. Say that with me. Firstborn from the dead. There's that word again, the firstborn. The sense of preeminence. But here it also communicates the sense of being the first person to rise from the dead. Sure, there have been other people in the Bible who have risen from the dead. For example, Lazarus. But he died eventually. Jesus is the only human who died and rose again and will never die again. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's preeminent over death because he destroyed death in his resurrection. Again, can you think of any category apart from life and death? Think about it. Jesus is sovereign over life and death. No mere human again has ever held that position. Jesus is more than human. He is God in the flesh. Paul is going again and again because he wants us to let this truth soak in and sink in that Jesus is God. And why? In verse 18 he says, so that he might come to have first place in everything. Jesus is preeminent in everything. And verse 19 further elaborates on Jesus' deity. It says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus is fully man and fully God. Friends, what is Paul trying to establish here? Why is he doing this? Look at verses 15 to 20. Count the number of times you see the word all things or everything. Just in those five verses, how many times do you see Paul say all things, all things? All things, all things. I can count about eight in just five. And you know, when a author in scripture is using repetition, he's trying to get our attention, right? When you see repetition in the Bible, he's asking us to stop and look, this is something I want you to see. Jesus is supreme over all things. If I haven't said that yet, Jesus is supreme over all things. Do you and I believe that today? Do you and I believe that Jesus is in control over every aspect of our life? Do we invite Jesus into all of our transactions, into our conversations? Do we say, 
Yeah, I trust Jesus with my finances, but when it comes to my retirement plan, you know, I need to take control of my future. I need to take control of my destiny. I need to have all of these in place. Do you say, yeah, I can trust God to provide, but what is your 10-year plan for your career? I want to see that. Or do you say, you know, I trust God to be kind. I can be kind to people, but being kind doesn't get you results in the marketplace. Being kind doesn't get your insurance agent to give you the best deal. Do we trust God to be in control over every aspect of our life? My biggest area of struggle in this is in the area of finances. Being in seminary and being a part-time employee, I'm constantly thinking of how do I engineer situations to make sure I have a constant flow of income. That's just what I struggle with. We've been married for about six years now, and for our entire marriage, I've only been working part-time and I've been a student. It's, it's a miracle that she chose to marry me. And I'm constantly worried about, okay, how am I going to survive? But the truth is, these past six years, there hasn't been a single day we've, where we've gone without food on the table. Jesus has constantly provided for us in unimaginable ways. We have crazy stories to tell you how Jesus has provided. There have been days where there have just been random envelopes with cash. And we haven't even told anybody about our need. We just prayed. But I forget that. And I've confessed to you the last time I spoke here that I forget God's goodness in my life. I forget that God is in control of my life, of my future. And I work so hard to try to engineer decisions because I want to make sure I don't lose out on opportunities that can make me feel like I'm in control. Friends, are there areas in your life where you feel like you need to control because you don't trust that God is sovereign in that decision? Would you trust him to meet your financial situation? Would you trust him in your marriage? Would you trust him with your kids? Would you trust him with your job search? Would you trust him with your future, your retirement, your health? I want to invite you. Paul urges the church to recognize that Jesus is sovereign over anything, including your life circumstance right now. Our behavior is influenced by how we think, and Eric was getting at that today, what we think determines our behavior. And Tozer famously said this. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. You see, if our understanding of Jesus is half full, our cup is still half empty. So to be complete in Christ, know Jesus for who he is. Secondly, to be complete in Christ, know Jesus for what he's done. Know Jesus for what he's done. Join me in verse 20. It says, And through him, which is through Jesus, God the Father was pleased to reconcile to himself all things. There's that word, all things again. Whether on heaven or in earth by making peace through the blood of his cross. Jesus is the agent of reconciliation for all creation. Sin 
you see, created a wall of separation between God and all of his creation. This included the cosmic realm as well. So this sin, which had cosmic ramifications, needed a cosmic solution. And that was in Jesus Christ. Through the blood of Jesus on the cross, Jesus made it possible for us to see the Father. He made it possible for us to have access to the Father and be reconciled to the world. And he made it possible for all of creation to be reconciled to God because of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. This is what Jesus did. He reconciled. Now think about this for a second. We saw that Jesus is the creator. He's the sustainer of all life and of all creation. That is exactly what the devil attacked in the Garden of Eden. To remove the ability of Jesus to be the sustainer of all creation and to bring a divide. Did he succeed? I would say yes and no. He succeeded in the fact that sin brought an eternal separation unbridgeable by man between God and all of creation. But he failed in the fact that the world didn't collapse when sin entered the world. Why? Because sin could not outmuscle the grip of God's grace over his creation. See, you, when you and I sinned, we were still held together. We didn't just fall flat because God's grace sustained us in spite of humanity's sin. God's grace sustained humanity and all creation despite sin. And this is our story. Look at verse 21. And you, who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. That was our past. We were all born in sin. We all lived under the grip of sin. But regardless of our recognition of it, Christ's grace still sustained us because we were his creation, because he loved us. We were estranged, hostile in mind, and doing evil deeds. Circle or underline the word estranged or alienated in your text. See, here it says, the hostility in mind led to doing evil deeds. Now, I don't need to put up another QR code to ask you to share your hostility in mind, what your evil deeds are, right? You and I both know we're capable of all sorts of evil. You and I know when we have an argument at home, it's because there are two sinners at home. You and I know how capable our children are of evil. You don't need to teach them how to throw tantrums or be naughty. We were estranged and alienated, but this was in the past. It's used, spoken in the past tense. And look what God has done for us. Look at verse 22. This is what Jesus did. He has now reconciled in his fleshly body through death he has reconciled underline the word reconciled while we were alienated from God because of our sin Jesus reconciled us to the father because of his work on the cross because of his death burial and resurrection Jesus defeated the power of sin now why did he do this continue in verse 22 so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him. Circle the word to present. Jesus' work on the cross, it justifies us, it sanctifies us, and presents us as holy and blameless before the Father now 
and for eternity at the final judgment. We are presented as holy and blameless. Now these three words that I got you to, to circle, estranged, reconciled, to present. This is the gospel. If you need an elevator pitch for the gospel, just think of these three categories. You and I, we were once estranged because of sin. Jesus reconciled us to the Father through his death, burial, and resurrection. And if we put our faith in him, we are reconciled. And Jesus presents us as holy and blameless so that we can live eternity with him. This is our gospel message, that we were estranged, we were reconciled, and we will be presented as holy and blameless. Now, why does Paul say this to the Colossian church? They've already heard the gospel. They're living out the gospel. Why does Paul say this to them again? I think Paul recognizes the importance of reminding the church of the gospel. Considering the context that they're living in, he reminds them of the truth of the gospel. You and I need to be reminded of the gospel as well. I need to be reminded of the gospel every day. When rubber meets the road, when stress hits, I tend to think that I'm too far away from the gospel because of how I lived my life. One of the phrases you'd hear a lot in our household is, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? That happens almost every single day. That is a reminder and rehearsal of the gospel. We forgive because Christ forgive, forgave us. And we are both sinners in a marriage. We need to remind ourselves of the gospel every single day. Especially the context that we're living in, where social media expects us to live these picture-perfect lives that we need to have, I don't know, we need to have made it in life through our careers, and with election season coming, politicians are fighting hard for our allegiance. The world tells you that if you don't have such and such things in your life, if you don't have this, if you don't have that, you're not worth it, that we need to be our own product in the context of all of that noise. Friends, we need to be reminded of the gospel that we have worth simply by being children of God. You see, filling our cups the philosophies of this world is not what's going to get us to be complete in Christ. To be complete in Christ, know Jesus for what he's done. And again, if there's anyone here who does not know Jesus for what he's done, I want to encourage you and invite you to consider who Jesus is. Consider what he's done on the cross for your sins. That because of his love for you, he sustained you and he continues to sustain you and he draws you towards a relationship with him. And if there's something you'd like to talk about, we are here, the leaders of the church are here. Kathy and I are more than happy to talk to you about who Jesus is. To be complete in Christ, know Jesus for what he's done. So far we've looked at Paul's uh, teaching of to be complete in Christ, know Jesus for who he is, know Jesus for what he's done. Finally, know Jesus for what he requires. Look at verse 23. Provided that you continue st securely established and steadfast in the faith, without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, I, Paul, became a servant of the gospel. Provided you continue securely established in the faith and steadfast without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel. See, what the Lord requires from us 
is to be established in the gospel is to be grounded in it is to be surrounded and anchored by the truth of the gospel because he knows that the colossian church is capable of drifting away look at what he says in chapter 2 verse 4 i am saying this so that no one may deceive you with plausible arguments because it's easy to be deceived by arguments which sound real which sound like their truth coming from scripture again look at uh, verse 2 6 chapter 2 verse 6 continue to live your lives in him rooted and built up in him in christ and established in the faith just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving paul teaches the church that they are to remain in christ they have to be anchored in christ that is the that's remaining in christ is a key aspect of growing in maturity to growing in completeness while god's grace has redeemed us it does not give us the freedom to live a licentious life taking his grace for granted paul speaks of our responsibility in in the context of god's sovereignty that we saw in uh, verses 15 paul speaks of man's responsibility also that is always both of them together god's sovereignty works together with man's responsi- responsibility the work of god demands us to work for god to remain in god so what can you and i do to keep ourselves from wandering what can you and i do to remain grounded and established in the truth well you can start by reading scripture by knowing what the truth is by familiarizing us ourselves with the truth of the word you know the age old saying to recognize the counterfeit you know what's the original right stay grounded in truth by recognizing what's in scripture and another thing is we need to be able to recognize when we're being drawn away do we know the scripture enough for us to recognize when our favorite podcaster or youtubers are veering away from the truth do we know enough scripture to know that our politicians are veering away from the truth we need to be familiar with what the word of god says and we did a little of that today when we verbalized these phrases about who god is about who jesus is try to memorize that try to internalize that if you need to take printouts and keep it in your dining table in your bedroom in your bathroom wherever you can surround yourself with scripture as paul says in colossians 3 verse 16 let the word of christ dwell in you richly for you to dwell in god let the word of christ dwell in you and you know more often than not we are less likely to recognize when we have moon away or been drawn away from the truth you know if you've ever been to a beach if you've been playing in the water if you get up it's only when you turn and look at the shore do you see how far you've strayed but we don't often recognize that we've been moving slowly away from the center and that could be true of our lives today and the only way to check that the best way to check that is by being in community by being in community with one another in the church by being in community groups if we want to take maturing in Christ seriously we need to have people speaking into our lives all the men in this church who do you have who are the other men in your life who can speak truth to you who can confront you 
who can convict you, who can encourage you. And all the women, where are the other women in your life who can do the same, who can speak truth into your life, who can convict you, who can encourage you and lead you in the path of righteousness? We need one another. The church needs one another so that we can together grow and mature in Christ. And you know, sometimes it's just reminding yourself that God is in control of your situation. It's just acknowledging that God is in control over your job search, just acknowledging that God is in control over your kids who are in college or your family members who are wayward, just acknowledge that God is in control over your health, over your future. Sometimes it's a simple invitation to just trust and obey that God is sovereign. And if you're still uncertain about what trusting or remaining in faith looks like, talk to the leaders in your church. Talk to Buddy, talk to Mike, talk to Jacob. They're here to speak with you and to listen to your unique story and encourage you to understand how you in your situation, in your life, can remain grounded in the truth. Friends, to be complete in Christ. Know Jesus for who he is, know Jesus for what he's done, and know Jesus for what he requires. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace you revealed in Jesus Christ who sustains us and provides for us who has redeemed us from our sins and we are grateful that we can participate in that goodness pray God that you would give us the boldness to examine our life and help us to recognize where we need to grow, recognize how empty our cup is, and help us to seek the church. Help us to seek you in scriptures so that we can continue to mature and come to a fullness in our understanding of who Jesus is, who our Savior is, of all that he's done for us, and of all that he's going to do. And give us, once again, the energy through your spirit to remain established in the truth because we live in a world where there are so many things that are drawing for our allegiances, that are drawing for our attention. But help us to fix our eyes on you, God. And help us to serve you in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.